0: Yeah, it's inevitable. We're going to regret this one for sure, Jim. Just wanted to put that out
1: there. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? All right. Well, today... I'm bringing my business partner on, Jonathan. I knew to talk about a big decision we made this week. Or I guess a a, a big non decision we made on walking away from a three hundred thousand dollar deal. But Jonathan, what's up, man? You excited to tell people about uh, this failed attempt at an acquisition? I like how you
0: frame it as a failed attempt. I actually think there's a lot of success we uh, we got by just going through this process, and obviously we'll discuss it on this call, but. Very excited. This is still fresh in both of our memories. So I'm pretty sure we'll have some interesting insights uh, even for our future selves, hopefully.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I can ever go back and listen to these. It might be painful to hear. But just for people's context, Jonathan and I have a growth marketing consultancy called Growth Hit. We work with you know high growth companies as their external growth team. And if people have heard me do that pitch before, I apologize. So we, we try not to pitch ourselves too much, but just want to give that context. And so here's the thesis that Jonathan and I have. OK, if we're such a good growth team, why can't we grow our own stuff? So instead of making profits from the agency and putting to our pockets and driving around in fancy electric cars, we're like, you know what, why don't we invest this into acquiring businesses or starting our own? And we've seen companies like, you know, what Meta Labs did with Andrew Wilkinson and then having Tiny where they invest in companies and they have 30 plus companies. Fork Equity has done this by investing in Use FOMO, which is a Shopify app. You could even make the case that Basecamp was started with this premise where they're initially an agency, 37 Signals, and eventually launched their project management tool. So we're like, hey, that's a genius idea. Let's follow that path. And so what I'd like to hit on is, as we're going to make this decision to start another company or invest in one. We wanna talk about our investment thesis, this deal that came up, and why we essentially made the decision to walk away. But Jonathan, anything you wanna add before we get into the investment thesis? No, I think you've
0: covered uh, everything. Um, I don't wanna actually jump into any one of those topics because I know we'll come into them later on. But yeah, just the whole process of us wanting to step away potentially at some future date out of this whole agency model, take the skill sets that we've been building for years, not only building the agency, but also helping other companies scale as part of our agency work. And why not apply it to our own idea if we decide to start from scratch or even by acquiring a company and then implementing it there? So yeah, this is our first attempt at that. And uh, definitely a lot of lessons uh, that we've learned.
1: When Yav and I were going through this, we're like, all right, before we just start getting shiny object syndrome and spinning up random ideas or trying to acquire businesses, we've got to hone in on what is the criteria for a company we would want to acquire. And Here's some of the stuff we were thinking through. So I'll kind of run through the nyanth and I'll let you dive in. So first and foremost, because we're a growth agency and we do everything online, the company also needs to be online. So first, an internet business, right? So not brick and mortar or doing transactions over the interwebs. Uh, the second is we want a high margin business that is healthy and sustainable. So that's 30% Plus, and also, we're very much interested in products that already have growth that aren't dependent on paid channels like Facebook and Google for a couple reasons. One, because we do that very well, so we'd like to add that as a as a value add. And two, um, being dependent just on paid and not diversifying your channels can make me really nervous for your sustainability. Uh, The third thing, this one might be the most important. I'll be interested to see what you think, Jonathan, but having a unique unfair advantage. And a lot of times this can be classified as a moat. So that could be the fact that you have a brand. It could be the community around you. So something like Glossier as a D2C startup actually started as Into the Gloss, where they had this huge community or email base that was an unfair advantage when they launched in the beauty space. We also love sticky products. So what does that mean? If you're a software tool, like an email service provider, it's naturally really sticky because for you to switch to another email service provider, oh Lord, that is painful. I know that from first-hand experience, migrating the flows, the email. So it's really sticky. Um, and also we love niches. N- whenever you can be not the best for in the market, but you can be the best for a specific persona, that's something we like. So those are the unfair advantages we like. We want to also have what we call the 10-year test, where is this a category that if we had to bet our kids' life savings on that in the next 10 years, it's going to be going up and to the right, then we want to do that. So we're not trying to invest in, I don't know, selling hardback books We're not trying to, I mean, for me, honestly, I see a lot of people starting watch companies. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't think that's going to be going up and to the right as people lean towards smartwatches, but instead looking at things that we're excited on about for the long haul, whether it's like the creator economy, AI powered technology, and and different things like that. But Jonathan, what else do you want to add to as far as what was our investment criteria?
0: Yeah, big thing that I wanted to add to that already very thorough list is when we decided to explore the idea of buying and then building instead of coming up with our own ideas from scratch, one of the things we're definitely looking for is companies that have already found product market fit. And that obviously uh, is a requirement to, to have like the moat you were talking about and those all the unfair advantages, all those things can really come after you have product market fit. So that's something we're definitely looking for. Uh, And then also a team, a strong, especially technical team, as Jim just said, everything is happening online. So strong technical team that understands the product, that understands the market, that could continue living with this product and market. And, you know, the future of product roadmap is definitely something we wanted to look for because that's a skill set I feel like we wanted to complement what we already have. These are definitely the the big things we're looking for. In terms of the margins of the business, absolutely, that's something that we're looking for. And I think even more than that is is making sure that the revenue of the business can scale with usage. So this is something actually I believe that we added on relatively recently after having a conversation with Nathan Berry where their, their revenue increases, not by the number of users they necessarily add, but as their current users are more successful and they're upgrading to larger and larger tiers. So that's one revenue channel or uh, opportunity that we definitely wanted to have in the product. So yeah, I would say these are definitely, um, I think with these final items that I just added about as close to 100% of our checklist as it gets.
1: Yeah. We definitely learned a lot in this process that changed our investment criteria, but that's a great call out on product market fit, especially if we're acquiring something we want to be past that phase because if not, there are so many unknowns and that it could be a quick way to, to burn money. The other thing, um, This isn't necessarily in the investment criteria, but it's our options, you know, how much money we want to put down for this thing. So potentially up to $200,000, um, that doesn't include if we're able to do seller side financing, take out a loan or go down a bunch of different paths. Um, so that was another thing that definitely kind of limited our options. We're not some VC with, with huge uh, purse strings. All right, so that was our criteria. We then go out into the abyss that is the internet and try and find options. And the path we took was honestly looking at aggregators of companies for sale or marketplaces. Um, We're looking at Flippa, we're looking at MicroAcquire to try and find this deal, and so we found one. And we can't give the exact name because of NDA reasons, but it was in the live e-commerce space. And the thing that's really exciting about this is it's within the Shopify ecosystem. It's in a category that we're very bullish on, that in the next 10 years, it's going to be going up and to the right. So we found this. I slack it to Jonathan. I'm like, what do you think? He's like, let's go deep on it. And then we started doing the due diligence process. But um, Jonathan, anything to call out before on like how we found the deal or what about it got our attention?
0: yeah, I think what really got my attention is, for one, I mean all I'd say most of our clients are definitely in the d2 c space or at least have some exposure to e-commerce. So we're very familiar with tools that would help a client that we potentially have. We know that live commerce is is the is, is the future because it's it's like everywhere in China, it's one of the most uh, widely used uh, tools for for commerce. And it just, the engagement on tools like this is unbelievable. It's sky high, nothing really competes with it. And we felt like there's going to be a big player in this space anyway, why not jump on a tool that's already, you know, like a few years into development, uh, has quite a few customers, why not take it to the next step using all our skill sets that we already have. So it felt like even at a glance that we were a perfect fit with this company. And uh, that was definitely the main source of initial excitement.
1: Yeah, I mean, Amazon's doing live e-commerce. You see the stats when people do live e-commerce. Time on site goes up significantly. ROI goes up significantly. So like, oh, wow, this is a great marketing pitch. Make Our tool helps you make more money. So we reach out, do do a nice little cold email, start talking with them. Very, very nice group of uh, of, uh, developers. And that's another thing I liked is they had nobody on their team that does marketing. It was all developers and, and tech leads. So, so far this is looking like a dream relationship and we start getting into the due diligence stage. So what does that even mean? Like we're literally Googling how to do due diligence for acquiring a SaaS company, um, to, to, show where we're at right now with the process. Um, so we look at a few different ways, financial due diligence, tech due diligence, traction, due diligence, and operations due diligence. And not to get too into the weeds on it, but here's what I think matters. Um, from a valuation standpoint, we're definitely looking at financials because you're probably going to be acquiring them off of a multiple of revenue or a multiple of EBITDA. But they're very much pre-product market fit. They've sunk much more money into the development than they have into the growth. So they were negative as far as profit goes. And so that one for us was was interesting, but pretty straightforward. The one that you and I kind of struggled with was, how do we do due diligence around traction, product market fit, but then also the tech side? So we could start with doing our homework on, hey, does this company actually have product market fit? And one thing you and I kind of settled on was, do they have some sort of cohort of customers that are obsessed with this product, and they're using it again and again. And so for SaaS companies, it's like, hey, is there a churn rate? Do people just download this and then drop off? And so that was something as we started getting into the weeds. I don't know, Jonathan, for you, but for me, that's where I started to get a little bit of like a red flag, like, crap, these guys are pre-product market fit. But what did you see as we're auditing product market fit? Absolutely. And I think as part of this whole
0: product market fit audit, I also wanted to look at their competitors. So I spent a lot of time booking calls with their competitors, just trying to get an idea of what the industry is, the main problems that they face. Most of these competitors for context are, are advanced. They've, some of them have definitely raised money. Some are even public. So they've gone through the process of you know, just trying the trial and error period that this company is is going through. And I felt like they had a lot of wisdom there that we can uh, easily gather. So just looking at them and understanding the market, I realized that it's the product itself is not very sticky. Uh, it, there, it requires an education component, especially in the US and many Western markets. And it feels like the timing is just wrong for this product. It's, it's just one of those companies that you know it's inevitable, but now is not the time. Like we have not found the use case for it we haven't found the right distribution channels for it or whatever it is, really just the time isn't right. That's essentially the the message that I gathered just talking to these companies that the struggles that this company uh, is facing is faced by pretty much everyone in the industry. Um, so I think that gave me a lot of confidence to say that they didn't, definitely didn't have product market fit and there was still a way to go in terms of reaching that.
1: Yeah, and to kind of go down this path like, okay, let's act like everything works out and this goes the direction we want, what does that mean? Well, first we take it on and we have to discover what is the use case or the niche persona that's gonna be so obsessed with this they use it. Is it the beauty industry? Is it the fashion industry? Is it people selling high ticket items online? Um, And so the time it would take for you and I to do the homework, to go after all those personas and prove it out, Um, I don't know if we have the money to pull that off or do we want to give up nine to 12 months of our time because the opportunity cost could go to the next thing. The other thing is, let's say we get traction with a specific persona. This isn't a do-it-yourself type of onboarding that a lot of SaaS companies have where you don't need a sales team. This one very much requires sales. So while I think we are good at sales, scaling a sales team is totally different. And with our business model, with our economics, we don't have the money to pour into sales at this level. And then the third thing, we're looking at this category. There's a lot of people raising a lot of money. So what's our unfair advantage to compete? I do think it is a bottoms up approach, kind of going back to the Nathan Berry episode, how he competed with MailChimp. But it still didn't over, overcome the fact that we need a sales team and our product roadmap would still need to be able to evolve to at least compete with those personas. So we started to get all these kind of strike one, strike two, strike three on the, the due diligence process. And it was hard for me because I was getting shiny object syndrome and really fired up about going to market with this. But at some point, you have to like look at your, your baby that has this deal and be like, crap, I think it's ugly. (laughs) and It might not work out. But for me, I think even not even going down the technical audit, because we had some really nice, you know, friends that are um, own uh, development agencies that were down to do the due diligence for us on the tech side, because that's our weakness. But it was the traction due diligence process for me that kind of put the nail in the coffin that it, it wasn't the right fit for us.
0: Yeah, and if I could just summarize that in like as close to one sentence as possible, like enormously high production cost or development cost, I should say. And keep in mind their team is offshore, so it's about as low cost as it can get. Even then, their numbers were not very promising on that front. Extremely high sales cost. It's one where you need to handhold. There's like almost you need almost white glove service to get the the final user to use the product in 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 the way that's desired. And then finally, that churn that obviously makes the whole process almost uh, futile because you're paying a lot to get them on. And once you do, they leave. So I think that was the the final reason I felt like uh, we decided to walk away from this one.
1: Yeah. And so they, they listed it for $300,000. They were even open to staying on as a key uh, tech partner, which we also liked. But at the end of the day, it, it just wasn't worth it for us. So what does this mean? This means in 10 years when we see this company going for an IPO on the NASDAQ, we're going to be feeling really stupid that we published this episode. But it, it, it wasn't the right product for us right now with the way our investment thesis is, is, is laid out. The one thing that I do like is that we were decisive. Because I think I've made the mistake in the past where I make it decision by indecision. And I'm like, oh, I'm still thinking about it. Give me another week, another month but the truth is you're, you're, you're putting off making a decision. So I am happy that we were decisive in saying no to this, even though uh, it could be a bad decision.
0: Yeah, there's definitely going to be a big player in this space. And I, I definitely want to stress that I feel like live commerce is inevitable. We're seeing Amazon really testing it now. It's, it's like getting front, like uh, a lot of attention on the homepage. We know that in other markets, it's literally one of the primary ways of commerce online. So it's, it's inevitable. It's just that it's going to take uh, um, like a huge effort to get everything lined up and you know reach product market fit, not to mention enormous funding uh, to do all of that. So yeah, it's inevitable. We're going to regret this one for sure, Jim. Just wanted to put that out there. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Um, well, yeah, glad we're publishing this. So the other thing that you and I have thought through is, you know, as we're looking to make these investments or start these, these companies, you know, how can we learn from other startup studios or idea labs? And the thing that I struggle with is naturally these startup studios don't focus. They're spreading themselves somewhat thin as they're testing a lot of different things. However, as we look at them, there's a ways where you can focus even with this model. So we're big fans of what they're doing at Atomic VC. They've launched hims or hers out of of their lab. And they talk about in their first year, they actually didn't focus on a lot of ideas. It was just one and going all in on it. And I believe they give the team nine months of runway to make something happen, almost like it's its own um, kind of angel funded startup to see if it gets traction. Um, And that's something that you and I have thought about because we also do have another thing we're working on that we'll be talking about in a future episode. And the thought might be, let's go all in on this one idea for six months and see what we can do with our effort focused on that, as opposed to spreading ourselves too thin Uh, But for me, that's something that I'm struggling with is, is, is focus as we're, we've got a million, we have a spreadsheet with so many different problems we want to solve. How do you focus, but, but any thoughts you have on making this model work? Yeah,
0: absolutely. So a few things that stood out to me just looking at, and I've been studying a lot of these idea incubators, startup incubators, accelerators, whatever you want to call them. And a few things that stand out to me is that a lot of these, um, well the ones that like think of a pioneer square labs where they want to run multiple experiments at the same time they usually follow the same playbook to reach the point or of grow or kill so they want to do that as fast as possible so they don't waste any resources on ideas that are just not worth it so that idea i think that's probably the only way i imagine us and just looking at the other competitors as well of us doing multiple uh, experiments simultaneously Uh, The ones that I'm most interested in, uh, think of an atomic labs, as you were talking about, Jim, initially, are the ones that focus on one idea until it reaches maturation. I don't know, I think it's nine months, I think is the runway they give companies now uh, to reach that level. And I think, speaking of atomic labs, the way they go about coming up with their ideas actually is the most fascinating thing that really stands out about them is they don't have ideas. They really think of problems first. And that problems first approach, I feel like, gives you more reliable ideas to begin with. So even the experiments that they put in, uh, I mean, uh, focus on, have a higher likelihood of, of being legitimate ideas, of leg- being legitimate businesses, I should say, because they're born out of problems that they experience and in, like, in their portfolio of companies experience. So I feel like that approach is, is logical. Also follows like Paul Graham's um, advice from that episode we discussed, uh, one of his essays. I feel like that's, that's a better approach. Uh, in terms of like financing these ideas, what really stands out to me is well, the whole seller financed idea and the whole trying to get these undervalued. Like think of fork, uh, fork equity and the way they acquired FOMO. I feel like that's a very intelligent way that de-risks the whole acquisition process for the acquirer. So I felt like that's definitely something that we uh, we've learned from and hope to. Uh, to, to, use going forward. So yeah, these are definitely the big takeaways for me.
1: Yeah, I agree. Anyways, we can de-risk it. And we, we even talked to this potential company about, Hey, let us work with you for free for a month so we can talk to customers. I even sat in on a few sales calls um, to really get a feel for, are we, you know, a nice to have or a must have um, But yeah, getting creative with these structures is something we're we're definitely open to. But um, no, that, that was a great call out too on, um, the, the startup studios. But um, but yeah, so the, the search continues as we attempt to start or acquire business for um, what we call HitLab ventures. But Jonathan, any closing remarks? No, I can't wait to do this episode after we make an acquisition. I think that's what I'm really
0: excited about right now. Uh, so at that point, we're sharing more of the the actual successes of the journey rather than uh, the painful takeaways. Well, awesome. Well, thanks, man. Thanks. Have a good one, Joe.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money, but I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. GrowthHit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthHit has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com.